Welcome to Software Security Chat Chat number 247 for the 21st of July, 2016. It's John Shire in the chair this week as Chester is off. And joining me this afternoon is our good friend, Paul Ducklin. Good afternoon, Paul. Hello, John. There have been some hot stories this week. There was an interesting problem that was discovered with um, some two-factor authentication or two-factor verification systems out there. Our listeners are probably familiar with, with these systems. It's basically where uh, when you log into a website, for example, you will then be asked to provide a second form of authentication, be that a fingerprint, if in the case of you know an, an app on your phone, or an SMS code, or even a, a one-time code from, let's say, an RSA token. Uh, there's another form as well, uh, and, and I've experienced this with Google, for example, doing some account recovery. Uh, where you can get the system to actually phone you and read aloud the code that it wants you to input on the system. And it seems like some enterprising researcher has figured out a way to monetize that. <laughs> yes. Uh, some people don't like getting SMSs with the magic codes in. So they prefer that the other end places a voice call. They answer, you know, some mechanized voice will read out the code they need to type in. And this guy figured, hey, let's see if we can get the oldest trick in the world to work. I'm going to give them a number that's a premium rate line in some other country, and I'm going to add some extra digits and funkiness to the number in the hope that their block listing process doesn't realize it's a premium rate number. Um, and sadly, <laughs> he discovered that there were a number of providers whose good old-fashioned phone number block list checking could be circumvented, and so he let them know. And they were able to improve that block list checking so that it's much harder now to give a number to a two-factor authentication system with the intention of deliberately failing to log in many times in order to get them to call you and, and uh, rack up the money as a result. Yeah, as you say, there was uh, using some a bit of trickery, he was able to fool the uh, the rate limiting algorithm that was in, that's in place on some of these systems to basically prevent the, these ongoing and continuous phone calls and in one case he was able to increase that number from 7 calls to a whopping 172 calls uh just as you say by adding zeros and country codes to the beginning of the number so uh interesting vulnerability and again i think uh, kudos to the researcher who responsibly disclosed this uh doesn't appear to have broken the law and uh you know, basically did everything the right way and for his hard work was able to take home a little bit of cash on the on the way. Yes. So unlike the Apple bug that was disclosed this week, there's another bug out there that unfortunately this time does come with an impressive name. Uh, in this case, we have a bug by the name of HTTPoxy. <laughs> Very droll, isn't it? Yeah, it's it's a bit of a mouthful to say, I guess. In this case, it's a bug in web servers that uh, affects how uh, basically, HTTP requests and the common gateway interface or CGI handles um, incoming requests. Uh, can you just go over this bug a little bit for us and explain exactly what the risk is here? It works like this, that if you use what's called CGI, the common gateway interface on your web server, the idea is that if you want to add funky extra features to your web server, like, say, authentication or price lookup or comments or user forums or whatever instead of building all those features into your web server you get your web server to call a separate process that's good for security and you pass it a whole load of information about the request and it comes back with the content that it wants the web server to send back 
And that means how do you transfer information about the HTTP request uh, to a separate script or program, external script or program that's running? And normally, the way is using environment variables. So what happens is that the CGI standard says, well, you take all the HTTP headers and you convert them into environment variables that have the form HTTP underscore the header name. And the reason for adding that prefix, HTTP underscore, is that way, if the guy sneakily puts a uh, an HTTP header in there that says path colon, you can't control the path variable which describes to the CGI subprocess where it should load programs from. That would be a serious vulnerability. The problem is that if you put in uh, an HTTP header called proxy colon, that's converted to an environment variable HTTP underscore proxy, and that happens to collide with the standard environment variable used by a whole raft of online web interaction tools that says if one of these runs and that variable said, hey, send the request through a proxy. So in theory, somebody can pad web requests with this proxy colon. And then what happens is inside your web server, if you're not careful, a subprocess could go, oh, hang on processing this request, I'm actually supposed to send all the data back outside to some proxy. And of course, that's all a trick. So you could end up, if you don't filter out those proxy headers, which have no other purpose other than to be treacherous, if you don't filter them out, you could end up with a kind of fairly serious data leakage situation. Yeah, exactly. So a, a pretty serious problem. So uh, what do you suggest people do to protect themselves against this particular vulnerability? Well, John, there are loads of patches that are coming out for various CGI-enabled programs. Uh, you know, PHP, for example. You could also tell your web server or your web application firewall, strip out any HTTP headers that say proxy colon, because that's not a well-defined header. There's no need for it to be there. You're almost certainly not going to break anything. You've just ripped those out, so this can't happen. And the best way, actually, or the cleverest way to fix this is just decide that you love encryption enough because you think privacy and security are important and use HTTPS everywhere because this only applies to programs that are using plain old HTTP. So in fact, by taking a step into the future, you can actually, uh, as a neat side effect, deal with this bug of the past. Another piece of news that caught our attention this week was that of a an old fashion ATM heist, as it would seem on the surface of it, where uh, some crooks made off with around $2 million US in uh, cash, in cold hard cash, uh, out of Taipei, Taiwan. Uh, what's interesting about this story is it doesn't seem to follow the regular uh, style of um, ATM casher crew style robbery, uh, where basically uh, these people go out with a load of clone cards and uh, and pins and go ahead and actually physically uh, tap into people's bank accounts, extract some money and move on to the next ATM. In this case, it seems like this particular spree was done by, we think, maybe loading some uh, code onto the machines themselves and using a sort of secret code, if you will, was able to just basically get the ATMs to disgorge a whole bunch of money. From what I gather, according to the CCTV footage, the guys were wearing masks, which is a little bit suspicious. Uh, and they didn't use any cards. As an aside, whether this was by accident or by good social engineering design, they actually went out while there was typhoon weather going on in Taipei. So you can imagine also that law enforcement would be otherwise occupied. 
the suspicion is indeed that these guys had somehow either penetrated the ATM network or, you know, who knows, maybe they had some kind of insider help and that they were able to implant or alter the firmware so that, as you say, there was some secret code combination, some control-alt-delete-option-double-backspace, which actually said, hey, this is not a withdrawal, this is simply activate the mechanism that discharges banknotes, what's called jackpotting, as famously demonstrated by the late Barnaby Jack at a Black Hat a few years ago, who was able to figure out on ATM how to get it to do just that, and he did it live on stage. It looks like these guys have managed to achieve that in the real world. Uh, Apparently, some guys involved have been arrested, and presumably they still had the money on their persons, so a large amount of the money has been recovered. Some of the guys seem to have managed to get out of Taiwan. Who knows whether they'll ever be caught and extradited. So there's a kind of partially happy ending to all of this. Yeah, what's somewhat worrying about this case is the fact that the malware even ended up on these machines in the first place. Now, as you've alluded to, this isn't the first time that ATMs have been compromised. But uh, you would expect and hope that uh, you know these types of machines, these computers after all, aren't connected to the outside world, to the external internet at large, and and tightly controlled through internal access only. So maybe this was due to some insider help. Who knows? Uh, another small silver lining is that this really didn't impact people's individual accounts. The money was just simply sucked out of the machines without any, as you said, accounting uh, for that money. We'll see what how this story develops uh, as you know more information comes in, but it seems like the cops are on top of it for now. To be fair, we don't know that there was malware involved. We don't know whether there were insiders involved or not. But it is worrying when you suspect that there may be something that was you know, somehow implanted and it probably didn't need somebody to go to every single device. Perhaps a network could be used. As we've seen in big-scale credit card breaches where an organization had every cash register in the whole country compromised because they were all on one giant big network. And, you know, when it comes to networks, it seems that segregation, that divide and conquer, unfortunately, except outside some particular high security environments, maybe, you know, military or intelligence, it seems that that divide and conquer is kind of the exception rather than the rule. And whilst it's super convenient for maintenance and updates and everything to have one giant network, ransomware should remind us if nothing else, that when you have too many people able to access too many computers and too many servers and too many devices on the same network, that's the way that a small problem very quickly becomes a huge one. And on that potentially good news, I will wrap up Software Security Checklist Chat number 247. As always, for excellent reporting and security news, please head on over to nakedsecurity.sophos.com. You can find all of our podcasts on iTunes, the TuneIn app on the Google Play Store and at soundcloud.com slash software security. And until next time, stay secure.